Welcome to the Thinking Church podcast with Lee Button and me, Chris Bright. Thinking Church exists to help your church thrive by helping you think through key strategic topics of church life. Each week we'll be tackling a different subject of church life and we'll be joined by some special guests along the way. So if you like this podcast, why not give us a like, give us a rating and give us a review as well. So without further ado, get your thinking caps on and let's get on with this week's episode. Casper. Yeah, the, the well, third one was a friendly ghost. Yes. So Melchior, Casper, Balthazar. Is it because the Azar is the same as the kind of Nebuchadnezzar? So that's the kind of linking that together. The the Azar is... I think the, Az- the Azar does mean something, doesn't it? I don't know. This is, I mean, I feel like this is this is a brand new thing. It's worth saying at this moment in time that this was too good an intro to not include at some point in our podcast intro. So I have already hit record uh, because I think okay, that, that that's fine. Because I think that talking about this, firstly, because Christmas is well gone. So talking about the uh, the the Magi or the Magi uh, and the names of them, and then we're actually the reason we started this conversation was because we were talking about champagne bottle sizes. Um, Melchizedek being the biggest, I think that makes sense to me on a biblical thing. I mean, you know, I, I mean, a lot of this does make sense. Like it's, I think, I, I, you know, um, I, I'm with it. There's, there's rationale. There's a certain amount of logic. I like the idea though that at the beginning of naming these sizes, when they went, you know, let's name them after all the kings. That in not having a lot at the beginning, they went for Magnum. Uh, <laughs> after the you know television show it's a- <laughs> so they should have gone like magnum hawaii 50 um night rider kojak kojak <laughs> <laughs> what size bottle have you got i've got the night rider size uh i like that I, yeah i think that that could work to be fair you know if there was a, you know like you know like uh when it comes to wedding anniversary gifts there's the traditional and there's a modern version maybe we oh, need to okay. do that maybe there needs to be the traditional champagne sizes and we're gonna we're gonna come up with a modern version yes i like television shows to me makes a lot of sense i really like that um so it could go all the way i don't know what the top one would be breaking bad Maybe there nah, you see, I'm not sure. Wouldn't it have to be something like, like the, the the biggest one would have to be something like Sky at Night because of its length of run. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, oh yeah. So length of run would link to size of bottle. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So The Simpsons is going to be a large one because it, I mean it. It's been running for 30 years, more than 30 years. 1989 it started. So what? How long is that? Yeah, that's that's going to be up there. That's going to be up there as 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 a big bottle. I think. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure something like Sky at Night is like one of the longest running. I think before that, what was the, um, one of the film reviews ones as well, which now I can't remember. I'm going to say it was called Film Night, but it it wasn't. But it is a uh, something like that as well was was up there. See if I can you're going to look. You're looking up now, like longest running TV shows. I mean, to be fair, if you get into that, you're going to end up with like, oh no, the, the top ones are called Neighbours and Home and Away. Well, that's, that's probably very true. Uh, so Simpsons is at number thirty-two according to Wikipedia. Um, oh, there's a lot of joint elevens. Um, I mean, okay, let's bring this down. Oh, I'm still scrolling. Still scrolling. 
I think Wikipedia is generally good. Oh, gosh, there's a lot. So there's a lot of joint sevenths. I don't quite understand this. Um, so is that rank or is that number of seasons? I'm sorry to anybody listening to this. No, oh, no, it's number of seasons. So The Simpsons is number one. It's on the 32nd season. Law and Order Special Victims Unit is second. Third, I've never heard of this one, Gunsmoke. A champagne bottle called a Gunsmoke would be brilliant. Yeah, um, we're in territory like, that sounds more like a bourbon. Yes, and so um, first, second, third, fourth is Law and Order, normal Law and Order. Fifth, uh, one, two, three, four. Fifth is, I think, the best one, Lassie. Oh my word! Then you got Family Guy, NCIS, American Dad. Well, there we are. You know, so there we are. Um, it feels like a really rambling start. Is that just like number? Is that number of episodes or longest running? Number of seasons. Oh, number of episodes. Yeah. Well, The Simpsons is still up there with 695. There are many ways to to cut this, I think. I'm uh, not going to cut a single thing. I think note, Chris, I think we I should think, prob- I think we should move on. I think we should. Okay, so today uh, we are going to be talking about uh, choosing your strategic planning team. And I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. This was a conversation that Lee and I had over WhatsApp last night. And uh, I think there's a lot to dig into this. And it may be something that where you and I, Lee, we might disagree on this. And that's okay. And we we will probably have points of agreement. We might have points of disagreement. Um, I think that's okay. What I think we're going to do is just sort of open up the questions. And then we're going to talk around this. So let's start with thinking about, you know, choosing a... strategic planning team i i think i mean and again you know the caveat before we start this is look what we're trying to do is we're trying to expand the thinking on this it's like why do we always pick teams of a certain size or think it's done a certain way if if we want to do new things shouldn't we do it new ways and i think you know our, our job here in the conversation is to bring some tension and to explore some of that space and see what the thinking lands on but also if we're if we're not going to create create cookie cutter style models and churches i think the thing is is that if we're doing our, if we're doing our job properly that we're not going to go in and be so presumptuous as to you know make that that uh, everybody's going to do it the same way either um so i think you know that that's part of the conversation we're thinking out loud you have the privilege to listen to it or switch off um, or, but or it's, it, I think, you know, that that's it. Yeah, or interact with us. You know, if, or, if you're listening to this and think, gosh, yeah, I've got something to add to this. Or let us know what you're thinking on this. Yeah, podcast.thinking.church. We'd love to to read out your the correspondence uh, on the podcast. Okay, so let's start with this one, Lee. Is there such thing as an ideal team for strategic planning? No. Okay, you're going to have to unpack <laughs> that one. Yeah, let, let's, let's leave it there. Like, in short... No, I mean, look, teams are made up of people. Um, everybody brings things with them. We have stuff that's personal and we have our own circumstances and situations. There's anything that could be going on at any given time when we call a meeting or do something. Like, I don't think there's a perfect scenario and I'm not really sure there's a perfect team either. And I think that, you know, that's part of it. We we work with who who we have and who's around us. And, 
you know, like it's like even if you even if you you bring that in and like who who would you use and why? Like sometimes like the things that people bring, like you're going to have tensions. There's going to be disagreements. I mean, Jesus and his disciples. Like, can can we even draw that in as an example of of a team? I mean, obviously they had a great impact, but uh, you know, to a degree, would you have picked all of them if you'd have been having free reign to go and do it? Uh, you know, what were they like? What were the disagreements like? He was there with them day in, day out, and still gave them direct instruction on certain things, and they still didn't do it. Like, there's, you know, so I, I, I don't think there's a model for an ideal team in terms of how we would normally term, you know, ideal. Um, but I think, yeah, the ideal team is the team you have. Um, and if they're willing to, you know, if they're working with you and you're better off looking for alignment um, and how they want to move with you rather than, you know, have they got everything that you, everything that you need. Also, if you start looking for ideal team and ideal people, what a great excuse to procrastinate and never actually do or action anything. Like, I think we can use it as an excuse for why things didn't work or why. Look, we're all moving. The thing is to move and then to move and, you know, succeed when we succeed and fail when we fail. But all of it is still direction. You know, it's all, all you know, all the direction of travel. So I think, yeah, to, to try and hook it all into this almost a fallacy of an ideal team or ideal, you know, environment, ideal time. I don't think we ever really get it at all. I mean, you know, even from a from a spiritual point of view, the world that we're in and everything that we encounter, we're, we're not set up for perfect in, in that sense. So I don't think that there's ideal. And I think it's more actually about how we navigate that and how we work with people who might see it differently and shape that to actually move us forward. To a certain extent, I agree. I think that the team that you've got is the the team that you need to get started on any strategic planning endeavor. Because otherwise, you're absolutely right. What's going to happen is you're going to say, well, we don't have the team to be able to do it. Therefore, we can't get started. And I think that's just that that's a really poor excuse for me to say, right, we've got to wait to have a certain team. That being said, I wonder whether you can always hone and improve your team i think you you can always get started with who you've got and also i think it's worth saying that to say to think that you can get the ideal team is what i class as as a, a big church bias you know most churches don't have the luxury of going well we'll just find that type of person you normally yeah most churches you know majority of churches in the uk and wider as well are around about 50 to 75 people and that means that you do not have the luxury of being able to pick an ideal team the team you've got is the probably the best team that you're going to have for the foreseeable future anyway so i think there's that but i think as the team grows and as the church there's more people coming in i think that you can hone that so what what's on my mind and lee you may be better to explain this than than me is uh do you remember Edward de Bono's 
however many thinking hats. Six thinking hats? Uh, six thinking hats, yes. So they're all different colours. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm aware of this. There's there's lots of things with hats and who does what and how so to do things. There's yeah. the, so the black hat, that's the one that does... Um, they're the one that kind of... It, they're the dissenting voice in it. Let me just find this. Uh, this is really unprofessional. Um, here we are. You can. Go, this is a Googleable. But uh, I mean, I, Googleable. While while you while you're just pulling that out of our notes, it's look. I I agree entirely about the you know your team gets honed over time. I think the other thing is is that I I don't think we should ever think that a team is permanent. So actually, we need to get good healthy cycles going, so that actually people have an opportunity to always on board and off board but always with a moment of being able to do baton handing and make that some kind of like you know a ritual element of what we're doing as an organization so that there is health that it's not just like oh so and so left and so and so came on that you're almost starting again actually proper handover and that baton handing kind of nature of stuff i think is important and that's how you will yeah you i think you can shape team but they're all going to bring their individual values they've all got behaviors and you're you're looking at people so it's actually you, you're digging behind a lot more about how and why you want to build with them but actually if they're if they're if they're if they're if they're, if they're for you then i think you know and you know they're they're not you know doing something entirely different you know maybe we could deal with that on a, on a separate topic but look is yeah the, the team the team you've got is 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 a great start yeah and and so i've got the the six thinking hats here in front of me from the debonogroup.com i'll put it in the show notes and um here here they are and i think what from what edward de bono is trying to get at is he's not trying to say that you are this hat you may naturally lean towards it but what i think he's more suggesting is that these hats need to be present in the meeting so it's the different voices so you can assume that role regardless of your personality and makeup if you want to and uh and actually it's recognizing that these things might need to be present in a meeting to get the best out of it. So I think, again, this is this is leading to the role, almost the roles within the team rather than the team itself, because anyone can take on these hats. So let's just quickly go through them. Uh, so the white hat is the, the hat that calls for information. Uh, so just uh, it's basically wanting the facts. The yellow hat is all about brightness and optimism. You're exploring the positives and probing for value and benefits. The black hat is judgment. So, uh, you know, looking at the devil's advocate, you know, point of view those kind of things looking at the difficulties and where things might go wrong the red hat is feelings so hunches and intuition uh the green hat is all about creativity so possibilities alternatives new ideas and the blue hat is the kind of the management hat is the one that uh, kind of facilitates the process uh and i think that you know m many people will probably hear that and say oh i'm i could easily be three or four of those hats. i resonate with about three or four of those hats and so I think yeah. it is true that, so I don't think that you can say, right, I really need, we're, we're missing all but a red hat, because I think you can, you can use the team you've got to get, you know, if you need a red hat, you can, you can assume some, someone can assume that red hat, or you can all assume the red hat for a while. And I think that, that that's really helpful. So I think you're right that there isn't, there isn't an ideal team, but it does seem to me that you can, 
hone your team. I, I'd like to pick up on on something that I wonder what you think about that in terms of when you're building your team. Uh, first off, let's think about strategic thinkers. How important do you think it is to have strategic thinkers in your team for the sort of the the Look, idea of strategic planning? In, in in terms of like, what do we want to do next, and are we all agreed on it? I'm I'm less convinced about the need for strategic ability. I think everybody at, at some level within themselves is is strategic. So I don't think I you know I think it's like a a, a scale, and you know some people are lower on it and some people are higher on it potentially. Okay, a little bit like if you look at things like Strengths Finder. Um, the the is it Tom, Tom Rath and the the kind of the, the Gallup assessment of um, ability and like how people think and how we act in certain situations. So like Strengths Finder is a great thing, right? And you always do this thing where you pull out your top five themes. Now my my number one is strategy. Like my number one theme is strategic, which is brilliant. And like maybe then we hold that and we put it on some level of you know like pedestal as in like oh we'll get people with that up there. The thing is, is that out of the 34 themes that they've come up with is that strategy will be somewhere between one and 34. So I think it also depends its context. Like I might be strategic when it comes to like, you know, organizational stuff, um, uh, you know, at, a, at, a, at that kind of level. But, you know, everybody has a strategic ability to to do something. Our, our bandwidth and capacity for it might change, but actually how we outwork it and where it is and what thing might be higher up in our skill set. So do we need people where it ranks really, really highly? It's probably good to have one or two of them about uh, because I think, you know, they, they voice into something with a bit more view to uh, longer term. But actually in terms of, application and do we need action i would always go more for have we got people that can act on what we're doing and actually that's the there's more of them are action orientated and less about the strategy so actually i, I think you'd, if you're shaping this you want people who know how to turn it to action more than people who have know how to just document a strategy a strategy on paper is just on paper it never happens do you know what i mean like everybody's got a strategy gathering dust somewhere what you need is people who can act on it. I think people who know how to make things into action are more important in that balance. So long answer there, but I think everybody's got a strategy within them. Yeah, it's I, just, I, you I know, so. how, how, how it's brought out and how we harness it. I think if you can invite people to that conversation that people are really willing to talk about it and, you know, focus in for a short time, might not be where they want to like live and outwork continuously, but actually it is a place where they can come to, have voice but i would always go more for building how do we put this into action than than, than anything else when we're developing that team i think i just want one one quick thing as well like so we're talking team team and team perfect i think we need to get past this you 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 don't launch anything solo i think mm -hmm. there's a bit you know and i think there's there's plenty of writing out there about the myth of the solopreneur I think there's that's even a really good, I'm going to say it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. There's a video about, you know, um, uh, I, you know, many people made this self-made man. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you know what I mean? There's, there's no such thing. So I think the other one is, is that you, you, you can't have this headed by ego or think you can do it alone. Actually, the people around you are the people who are going to make this happen. Actually, there's a, there's a myth if you think that this is, you know, one person's, task to yeah. do all of this 
Yeah, and I think that you know that dispels the myth that you know the church leader is supposed to have all of the vision and all of the the plan. In fact, most of the time, you know, that's often the last thing they they can think about because they've got so much on their plate to do. And I like the thought that you know it's a team sport. It's, it should be a team sport, and you know, and that means that to you know to make some decisions, you know, the the senior leader of a church should have, I think, a casting vote because I think it helps make decisions quicker. But I think they're still part of the team. They're like the captain on the team rather than the manager on the sidelines. You know, they're not. Um, I think that, that yeah. that's a better way of thinking about when you're coming together to do work on strategic activities. You, the 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 senior leader of the church needs to be in the team, working in the team, playing their part, giving their ideas. And so and I think that that's really important. And that means that you can't just do it alone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On uh, that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Sorry, after you, Chris. Oh no. So I was going to move on, but no, carry on, carry on. I, no, I'm saying that there's the the bit that you touched on. You said about you know, uh, like you know, ultimately like a decision. It's still a decision to let someone else make the decision. Yes. So, it, you know, as as a coach on the sidelines, if you're looking in like a sporting context, that's absolutely great. You've got this you've got something that you are really intent on and focused on. You know that your team need refreshments and they need uh, nutrients and, you know, management of their health and diet. So you know that that needs to be put in place. What is in that, you're probably going to have less of a view on because you're going to put that to an expert in their field. The decision is to let that one go and let somebody else manage that. And you kind of like reap the reward. Also, don't be afraid in team to push this out to people who can make that decision better than you. That's leadership. You know, it's not mm -hmm. that you've got to make every decision. It's actually that the decisions are being made in the right place by the people with the right information. And I think, you know, that that's the thing we can get stuck in sometimes that we don't let things go. And then we get this funnel and then the leader can become a bottleneck uh, to everything. Or they're trying to catch them for a corridor conversation and get their way. And, you know, it all goes a little bit, wrong get get things get the decisions being made organization-wide by people who are best placed to make those decisions um and that in itself is a decision so it doesn't take away from that as a principle but it, it doesn't mean that you've got to have the content or the information or the say it's just actually how that happens and the mechanisms to make it that's that's a kind of more facilitative leader as it were Yes. Okay. I'm going to pose another, a second question to you then. Uh, and maybe this will help us kind of get to the, is there an ideal team? Uh, is there an in-ideal team? I don't know if in-ideal is a word, but an, a, a non-ideal team. A non-ideal team. I like, think, well, if you just say off, team, team of one, yep. a team that is uh, all people that love you. You know, that sort of like, no matter what you say, they will not they'll never say anything against it. In fact, at the start of a meeting, you could say, we're going to paint this blue. And everyone says, oh, great, we love blue. That's perfect. And if by the end of the meeting, you say, 
actually we're going to paint it green and they all say yeah green's perfect we'll all go with it green it's like what have you just done like so you don't want a team of people who are just nice to you you need to be able to have some level of uh, conflict tension dissent amongst the conversation so anything that's kind of like too neutral too you know in one sense likable I think mm-hmm. is is not going to get you where you need to go. So there's got, you know, the one with no trust and no conflict, I think would be a non-ideal team because yep. you've got to have the trust to be able to hold the conflict well so that there's safety in conversation that we can question and probe. We've seen too many churches recently and a lot of leaders who have stepped away from ministry or been taken out of ministry because of their actions where they've done things uh, and it's come out later on that when people questioned it, they basically bullied them back to like get into line when they were ge- they had genuine concern and genuine question. And we're seeing that come out. And, you know, there's a lot of this being written about, you know, you know at this time, there's Christian presses, you know, full of these kind of stories. Actually, that doesn't that's not a great leader. That is. That's that's bad. That is that is bullying behavior. If you're just like mandating that upon people, and it's like, oh, if you if you don't agree with the vision, then you know you're out. They didn't see it like us. They're not our. No, you're creating division if you do that. Whereas actually, they genuinely have a right to like you know probe and ask and question. Also, you've got to be able to defend what you're doing. <laughs> you know, if you're making a decision, you're willing to stick by it. You've got to be able to defend it, but also you've got to be willing to change your mind. Uh, so, you know, if it comes up to the colours and the painting and how you want to do stuff as a, as a, as a you know, a, uh, you know, a real light one, you know, it's not a major issue at all. But, you know, those those things are there. So, yeah, non-ideal team, one without safety, uh, one full of yes people, one that won't do conflict. Um, and, uh, yeah, one one that's one. <laughs> if if your team is just you, then yeah. you you've got you've got a few things out. So yeah, actually, no accountability, no conflict uh, would would be and no safety. That would be that would be probably the worst team I could experience. There's a question I'd like to put to you on this, which is um, how important. And we, we you know we talked about having yes people and that kind of echo chambers and. Um, how important is representation in a team? I know that this is, you know, this has been a thing that's been thought of, especially through 2020, and in terms of uh, racial representation within a church. Um, how important do you think that that teams are representative, not just racially, but in terms of maybe in terms of viewpoint, in terms of those kind of things? Speak to that. What are your thoughts on on that? So, I mean, yeah, you want you want a you want a wide range of voices, and I think we've we've all got teams, and we're all in you know regions and communities, and sometimes that is uh, easier to get that level of representation on your board, okay, and how you want to do stuff within your team. That that's that that's that step one, okay, but there is another bit where you actually have then responsibility about how you broaden that, that it can be questioned by other people, maybe even external. So you might have a team that is predominantly your friendship group. You might all be uh, <clears throat> white. And, uh, you know, let, let's face it, that's a lot of the Christian church in the UK. Um, you know, very white, reasonably middle class, degree educated. That, that's the makeup 
of a lot of churches. I think there was a survey done on this by Evangelical Alliance. So there's, there's quite rich data behind this. But if that if that's your team and that is what you've got, and but you like you might not be able to get that then from the congregation that you currently have, but you want to represent that better. I would add that you have responsibility after that to go and find voices external to you from other networks, other churches, network and make friends with people who can come and speak into it. So I, I've been part of a group and we did work. And just because it was tiny, it was a tiny group, there's three of us. It ended up being three white men. But we, we knew that the representation needed to be broader. So we invited in voices from previous client groups and friends from elsewhere to basically, although they couldn't be decision makers because they weren't then part of the organization, but they could kind of bring this accountability check to decision making that we were doing, that we could say that there were other voices into the process, that although we were three white people, and you know all relatively around the same age that there were other people speaking into our situation and helping us shape it from different backgrounds and different viewpoints who were willing to put their you know their picture on the website per se uh, and and help do that so i think yeah representation is one thing but also you've got where you are today so if you're if you're a if you're you know a, you know a small church most towns in the uk Generally, you're you're putting you might not have that in the size of congregation or the team to to to, to pull every every voice in that represents your wider community. But you do have responsibility to bring accountability by going further afield and finding other voices that can speak into that. And even if that's not at your leadership team and your team level, you can start doing that at your board level and your trustee level. And don't be afraid to bring in people from further afield. Like we're all doing stuff online. You can, you know, check your objectives at your charity, but you can you can hold your meetings online, get people to come and speak into your situation that bring a bigger thinking into some of those areas where you might otherwise struggle with where you are and then build, represent and the outreach of how you want to interact with your community and the geography that you have and who, you know, you know, we say always that you're going after psychographic, not demographic, but we don't ignore demographic. Like there is still where you are physically located. Yeah, so you yeah, might not have that breadth of makeup, but it doesn't mean that you don't have a responsibility to get those other voices. Mm. And I, I, I think that, that that's the bit I would push for at the minute is the responsibility and accountability on those things to make sure our thinking has got something wider, even if it's not there today in our in our smaller group and team. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I mean, especially in terms of when you're thinking about making it culturally representative, I think that's a really great thing. And also, you know, if you can't find people in your church that can fulfill that role, bringing people in from outside is just a, a fantastic way of being able to provide that representation. Uh, and and you know, and not expecting, you know, I think we were sort of force people into a role just because of their ethnicity when they a may not want to do it or b may not be ready to do it but actually that that representation can still come from from elsewhere and i think that's a really healthy way of doing it um i, I, yeah. I wonder what it, that's it let's let's we're going for health we're yeah. going for health and that also means that if, if you're healthy you've also got to be kind of like true to who you are so don't manufacture it because that that creates something that looks a bit false yeah. And I think that's potentially worse and damaging. So, you know, you, you want it, you want it to be genuine and to really 
start. So now then, but I think it's all you know as much as much as it it's as cool as it's always been. I think it's now also easier than ever to to do and to, to get that to get those voices into team. I think there's a, a danger with representation, though, and the danger is, is that if you if you want people in your team because they represent a viewpoint or an ethnicity or or, or a sector of society or, or whatever, I think the worry is that they're kind of they they can be brought in just for that. They can be seen as they're just yeah. being brought in just for that purpose, and that doesn't feel right. You're bringing people in because you want them to contribute to the whole. And if they're only there to talk about, you know, diversity, or they're there to talk about a particular, you know, theological viewpoint and represent, you know, some people in your team, if you've got, you know, a broad theological spectrum in oh, your yeah. church, you know, suddenly that can just become, oh, we've only got you here because can you talk about that from, you know, a reformed point of view, please, or a, you know, Arminian point of view, please, you know, um, and that's that's no good. They have to still be part of the team yeah. as much as everyone else. And I think that's part of being genuine, like asking people. But, you know, we, we say this, it's, you know, even on a, on a very, very light scale as a very obvious example, just because somebody is uh, a teacher in their profession doesn't mean they want to do your kids' work on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, don't don't just bring them in and kind of like, you know, get them going or to represent that. They might actually have a separate skill or gifting that actually in the mix and harnessed properly really enhances the whole of what you're doing. Now that's that's one of the ones that like, you know, we see time and time again. It's a little bit, you know, we 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 stereotype to what people do as if it's the only way they can outwork it. So it's like, yeah, you want to make sure that yeah, the diversity on your team is not just who's bringing it, but what skill they bring. So that all the things that you need are represented, but uh, you know, evidence base is evidence base as well. If you can show that you've done on your team and on your trustees some kind of like you know skills audit, and you're saying that you know, yeah, we're we're aware that our team is you know, and I'll, I'll say it, you know, white in this instance, but you've you've got all the things represented that you need to represent then look at your responsibility and how you get diversity and other voices into that and how you get people to hold you accountable that you're not just then becoming one way of thinking or that you bring in um, cultural and systemic issues into your organization so i think yeah it's it's a big topic and um probably you're probably going to pause it a little bit so that maybe we do this justice on another recording at some point in the future because we know people who can speak to this brilliantly um, but I think, look, when you're putting your team together, the best team is the one that you've got. Then look at your responsibility and how to be genuine and how you bring accountability. And I think if you're holding all of that and there's a tension there with it and you're willing to get those other voices and be challenged without being defensive, then I think you can get the health that your organisation deserves and actually health is what we're going for. And that will that will bring in all these viewpoints. And 
it's it, it'll be it'll be fine but you it's the awareness isn't it it's just you know being aware yeah so let's talk about now okay so the best team that you've got is the best team that you can have is the team that you've got the ideal team is, is the one you already have but what about size of team um we normally have heard that you know you don't want too big a team I've heard, you know, there's certain rules that people, the 12 person rule I've heard, the two pizzas rule. Uh, we can talk about both of these. Um, let's just talk about those. But is there an ideal team? Can you do strategic planning well with lots of people? Could you do strategic plan, planning well with a very small amount of people? What are your thoughts on that? Look, I think this is yes. As a, as a short answer like it's both like you know the two pizza rule and stuff like that i think got banded around is it bezos that came up with that one the two pizza rule and then yeah. i've heard it a lot in church circles i think that somebody yeah it's you know it's one of those like you know it's a well-known maxim of somebody talking about you know how they made decisions i'm not sure it always referred to the team i think it was on about who was there to make a decision so i don't think it was really speaking that it was always the same people like you know if, if five people eat two pizzas then your team is only five people i think it was more about how many people to make a decision on a particular topic it's like if you have to order more than two pizzas there's two people too many people in the room making that decision i so, think is so i think it's one of those where we've i, I you know maybe the interpretation is different for different people but i think it might be one of those it's a bit skewed but when it comes to team it's like i mean we're talking specifically about the planning and what you want to do as a church as a ministry how you want to go forward and we've talked that actually a lot of the people that we engage with average church size in the uk tipping 80 and then after that there's a plateau around the 150 point but they're averaging about 120 to 130 in congregation size after that anything pushing 200 to 250 is bordering large in uk terms mm -hmm. and then then there's a bit of a mid ground and then 500 is like kind of the next plateau point so very typical very usual it's european wide it's even american although we hear in the big churches in the states statistics you know scale it, it kind of holds so there's not a lot different look if you want to plan with your entire church and have 100 people in the room and you want to make it a sunday thing and you want to retreat it you can do that it's okay. possible. I've How? seen it happen. How I've led. I, to be fair, I've led one. So, uh, but also, if you if your if your if your setup is is that you've got a smaller team and that's how you're working, that that's fine. You, I think you just got to be decisive about which way you want to be. Um, look, so one planning of any sort isn't one size fits all. Sometimes you want more voices and sometimes you don't. Um, but if you want to look at the priorities for your church the best people to talk to about that are the people that you're that you've already reached and the communities so if they're there and they're representing that and they're the kind of like you know on the ground and they're the people doing it i would still suggest at some point you need to have listened to them now in, a, in, in something under 100 you can comfortably get them all in a room you probably already do on a sunday um, and even online so to to harness those voices is is not it's not actually that difficult but 
even if you are much larger, then you've got a smaller team. So like, let's say your church of 300, you've got a team of like 12 to 15 people. You probably still want to kind of like get some feedback and survey from those wider groups to actually understand the, the, the heartbeat and what's going on in the in the church and to, to take that into account. So like from a facilitation point of view, there's strategic planning and we do that sometimes. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of the, you know, no more than 12 people in a room and, you know, we, we make decisions this way and we, we, we plan and prioritise with the people that are there and then we roll it out and you look at communication strategy. But even then, you're still breaking it down to other teams and there's further workshops where you disseminate that. Sometimes you've got staff teams that are bigger and other times you've got a whole church and actually you're you're changing things. So I worked with a church and the change was was wholesale. It was about, you know, shifting network. It was about moving location. It was, like, it was a whole big thing, but it's about 120 people. We did the process with everybody. Why not? Nothing says you can't. That's the thing. It's like you can you can effectively harness all of them and listen to them. But that's more about prioritization, about what the church is going to do next and where it's going to put its priority. Now, there's a there's a facilitation technique called open space, um, often referred and it's often full title is open space technology. And I'll just give you like there was a uh, they gave a, gave an example and it's of a church in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Now. This church wanted to establish strategic direction and set their priorities for the coming year. And they did it with the entire congregation. And they now run an annual direction setting retreat, which is attended by almost all parishioners. And they, you know, break that down into the groups and they review and reestablish and, you know, redo everything uh, for, for operating for the, for, the, for the coming year. Now, you know what? They chose to do that and it works for them. And it might not work for you. But the thing is, is that we're not going to, you know, prescribe the route to do it. But if you if that was something you wanted to do, it is possible. So I I I, I like Swift. Like the big work is amazing. Um, often if you're you're dealing, if you're if you're newer or you've got more engaged and you have got a lot of projects and ministries and things that are operating, having all those voices and doing it whole church is, is probably very, very valuable. I think it's so yeah that's I just want to bring that as a, as a, as a thought it's it's out there and you know you, you you can do that and if it's something you'd been shying away from but was in, you know you had a gut feel that this is what you wanted to do as a church it is possible there isn't only one way to do to do this Okay, first and foremost, Kansas City is in Missouri. There's yeah. there's a state of Kansas. It'd be like having Gloucester in Worcestershire. What's the, I mean, I mean, I love America. I love Americans. That's bizarre. I'm just going to put that one out as an aside. There, um, because and I'm just looking on a map here. Kansas City is half in Missouri, looks like, and half in cans that's just brilliant i'm sorry that's that's a wonderful thing that i did not know um thank you for that um secondly when, <laughs> when, when we're thinking about you know capturing data i mean are you thinking initially 
surveys i mean I, I hear a lot from you know church leaders i've always heard this is quite a um i don't know it's a maxim that i've heard it's like don't don't survey your church because you're you end up having this kind of watered down view of what you should be doing and it's it becomes very uh almost ultra democratic and lowest common denominator and um but to me that just doesn't seem like it tallies with how other industries would work in terms of you know no you know you look, at some, you look at netflix for instance you know yeah. they rely essentially on their rating system is essentially a survey of all of their shows and they're relying on that for making decisions so big data is really really important so it's odd that we we often as churches have shied away from surveying our church regularly yeah. it's it's because um look most churches and a lot of people in those positions are rubbish at asking survey questions if you want to survey your church and you're trying to get evidence on what it's doing if it's that important invest in it get professionals yeah. in to help shape the survey and ask the right questions so if you ask it wrong you will water it down and you get this like you know everybody picks five on a scale of one to 10 or seven, do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I can't give them a top mark. I won't give them a bottom mark. Look, so, you know, scaling and questions and free form answers, interviews and how to interpret that, but you've got to be savvy. And it's an art to asking the right question, not to do it leading, make it self-fulfilling, not to ask a bunch of questions that when you get the answers proves the thing that you already had in mind anyway. Like you don't want to be doing that. You really want to raise things and get under the skin of what's really going on and what's actually happening. So if you genuinely, genuinely want to hear the voices of everyone in your congregation, get someone that's independent to help you form and shape that ask the right interviews do the right surveys so that the feedback actually has value you will have seen this a million times that a lot of the uh organizations that come back and do surveys are using external companies to to to, to do this they're not asking from their own point of view they want to get the the, the breadth of questioning and sometimes you know you have to ask the same question three or four different ways you know kind of like you know uh, do some interpretation so I think it's that, yeah, you know, a big church once did a survey, they got really bad results, but they're always, you know, semi-famous or well-known on a circuit. And so they said, oh, yeah, just like blanket statement, never survey your church. And now everybody's like going, oh, yeah, you don't survey your church. It's like, well, probably should. But actually, if that's going to have value to you, do it do it well. Um, yeah. that, that's it. If, if you're going to do it, do it well. That's, that's basically what it boils down to. Well, because th there's a reason why. I, I've, I've been thinking about this for a while. You know, every time you come out of a bathroom in a in an airport or in a shopping center, they always have those little smiley faces things where you can just hit the button. And they people invest in those things for a reason. I know that kids come up to them and, you know, just sort of tap on, on them and probably skew the results. But there is a reason why they do that. There's a reason why you go around IKEA, other household stores are available, um, and they have those survey little things that is around there's a reason why companies are always investing in in opinions and it's i think it's strange that we're quite behind the times on that and in one sense you know listening is a form of listening it's the best form of listening because you've got to be able to 
just just listening without turning that into some kind of action plan is that's not really very helpful so you need to have something where that can be turned into something you know systematized turned into something that's going to be usable and helpful and i yeah, think if you're going to be active listening active listening is also a skill yes you know like actually asking and then being prepared to listen um proper listening to what's being said is is a skill to be learned but also so is feedback like they are they are they are disciplines in and of themselves yeah that's that's true um so so it, it is possible to do large amounts of strategic planning with your church but it depends i mean i've done a strategic planning session with probably 40 or 50 people it was a i was doing an assessment with a church and and it it works and i was the only one you know i was the only one running that but you kind of break it down into smaller groups and you can still gain a lot of information that's really really helpful at that point um you, you know so it is possible you know you could you know if you're a church of 50 people there's absolutely possible that you could do the whole thing you could you could run planning sessions as a church i think would you agree i mean for me i would feel like the more people you add the the more time you add it just takes longer in terms of organization yeah and i mean you know it's so like using open space technology is you know one of the common ones of doing like mass stuff and it's obviously it's often used for like public engagement and shaping public services um so you know it's to you know canvas views on things like climate change and healthcare. So, you know, it, you're, you're after lots and lots and lots and lots of people in the, in the room because you need as much data as you can get. Okay. But once you tip the kind of like 100 point, you just, which is normally like, you know, you try for like, in one sense, the one big circle is that you just have multiple circles, but you're running it all at the same time. So it's how you break it down, how you factor it um, is, is okay. It does take slightly more time, but, you know, I've done strategic planning retreats that have been for three days. And they got to a really good outcome and they were fun and it, it was great. I sat with other people and done almost the same amount of work in half a day. Yeah. So it's like we also shouldn't, it's we're never you can't you can't sell in. It's like, no, a strategic retreat is three days and we start with this and we move to that. No, it doesn't work like that. It's like, no, listen, listen to the listen to the client, listen to the church, listen to what they're trying to achieve and shape and design to be as unique as the calling that God has put on them. And by working like that, you might go, we're going to do a half day with your entire church and then we'll do a half day with this other team. And we're going to get the measure of it. And actually, you'll get way more out of that than if we sat with your seniors for three days. Mm -hmm. As much as, you know, doing that would be lovely. Also, the at the minute, we're still doing predominantly online. Like, it doesn't factor the same. It's like people have got like 90 minutes is kind of the limit of, of, of a single session. So, if, you know, for over the course of a day now, you're probably doing three 90-minute blocks is probably about as much as you want to put in. Look, you can achieve absolutely loads and you can get everything that you need, but the skill is in the facilitation and asking the right questions so that you draw out the right things. Um, but, you know, 
a church making strategic priorities, uh, a church trying to work out where it's going next and what its direction is. I, I don't think there's any, you know, or organisationally, you might be looking at the data and it might be around staffing structure, buildings, um, your 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 campus setup or your you know your building setup for streaming and digital as it would probably be now like that probably belongs a lot of the time with a slightly smaller team but actually you know like what as a church do you want to focus on and how do you prioritize i still i still air that actually you want everybody um and actually you can have a lot of fun with it and you can do it well um and i think once you get people to embody it and make it kind of you know a, a good a good experience for them that there's a lot of learning that can be had yeah that's i think that's really really helpful and, and look, we, we can do we do sessions which are large and small we, we generally you know when we're going down the kind of you know the dna of a church as you know to coin a not to coin because i'm not coining the phrase but to use a you know to use a poor phrase but you know what you know what i mean you know they're looking at the mission statement and the values and the the key strategies of the church there then i think we normally say you know 12 12 people maximum is a really good benchmark but you can do it bigger if if need be it it changes the dynamic but that's 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 possible what i'd like to hit on just last is there maybe might be churches that are listening to this and thinking okay well i don't have anyone strategic in my church is that going to be a problem and i think this hits on the role of a facilitator really is that in my view, as a being a facilitator, is that I don't mind if I don't have strategic thinkers in the group, because my job is to bring a process anyway, so that they can work through and it's as easy as possible for them to go, okay, I'm going to focus on this, this is the task, I just apply myself to this, this task, and the facilitator's job is to make that as simple as and easy as possible to understand. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, if your your team knows it needs to do things and if the struggle is kind of like the strategic piece look the strategy bit of that is the process so bring somebody in who can provide process and help you articulate what it is that you're trying to do um but don't think that what you're going to come up with is any less than anybody else like it will have enormous value and meaning to your team and the facilitator the facilitative role is is quite strategic in terms of like how you know the design the process what what information will be elicited but remember that the facilitator also is not inserting their own content they are just bringing in a process and they will probe and they will dig and they will ask questions and they can be kind of naive in how they draw that out and they'll keep people to time and they'll, you know, you know, there's the practical aspect of it as well. But it's the, the, the conversation, it, it's all set up in the client contract at the beginning. What are you trying to achieve? What do you want to be, uh, what, you know, what, what are you working towards? And then, you know, not being directive with it, but letting the information come, letting the answers come and letting people find consensus on what's happening um, as to like you know how to proceed and again like you know everybody's got different values um but you know the the organization has got the purpose so you're trying to see like how you get people aligned and actually that's that's part of the facilitator's role within all of that to to see how they're working together 
to, to, to just 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 to bring that out. So a facilitator is a key element. Um, it's great when they can be neutral and maybe just you know lift the rock on a few things that maybe you would otherwise leave unturned. You know, ask a couple of those questions. But it's it's good to get that in the room. I say in the room virtually, physically, yes. either way. However, or, you, you know, do it these days. Yeah, post post COVID. In, in the room or post you know lockdown or you know whatever allowed in the room is is a good online is also good and we do both which is which is uh really good and i think that's that's the the great point and the great takeaway from this is that you don't need to have the perfect team the, the team you've got is perfectly sufficient to help your church move forward it's just being able to have the right process the right questions because the right questions will help people be able to think through the right answers. I think people are more strategic than they, than they think they are. And that means yeah. that you don't have to have Agreed. this perfect team and this perfect, you know, you know, this person has got this experience. That's, that's great. But if you don't have that, you can still make great strides forward as a church. And I think we're probably going to call it time there. Um, and I think that's, that's probably a good place to stop. Lee, thank you as always. Um, and um, that felt like a rich conversation that's probably going to lead to a bunch more podcasts. Uh, yes. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot that's I, that's come out of that that we can we can take forward for sure. Yeah, I think it, it, to be fair, right, if, if you're listening and um, it'd be helpful, help Chris and I take a measure on this. Would some case studies of these different things be useful? And uh, maybe you want to give us some feedback. And you know, this is us surveying uh, uh, from you we do this and we produce this because we've got listeners and it's helpful to you from, from the feedback that we currently get. But if there's more we can do to serve you, let us know. And we would love to start creating more content that actually answers those things that, that, that you're, that you're, that you're going through. And so that, that would be great. And it really helps us too. Brilliant. Well, Lee, I will see you next week. Have a, a lovely weekend. Thank you for, uh, explaining where missouri no kansas city missouri is um that's really helpful so thank you for that and i will see you uh next week see you next week cheers chris well thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode and don't forget that you can send in your thoughts comments uh, discussions for whatever we've talked about uh, just drop us an email podcast at thinking.church and we'd love to be able to read it out on the show uh, we'll be back with another podcast next week so stay tuned for that uh, we will see you soon bye for now